0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North, in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Well, this big idea is available to us, it is found in the resurrection of Jesus, but we rarely let the reality. Of the resurrection of Jesus seep into our daily lives. We think about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. That's when we do it. We have Easter lilies. We have resurrection service. That's that's the time we think about the resurrection over there. But when's the last time that you thought in your daily life about the resurrection? When's the last time you considered what effect the resurrection has on your marriage? I doubt that you have ask that question. You know how I know that you probably haven't asked that question? Because I can't think of ever before, I don't know, this week, asking the question, what does the resurrection have to do with my marriage? And if I haven't done it, I think it's a fair bet that most of us have We haven't begun to think about the resurrection. How does the resurrection affect my office life? How does the resurrection affect my parenting you see, we don't consider the way that the resurrection rearranges everything in our lives. And becomes not only the one thing that changes our lives, but it becomes the thing that all other things are compared to. So here's what I want to do. I want to read our passage this morning from First Peter. I'm going to read the, about the last half of chapter 3. And I'd like you to stand up um, as I do that so we can hear God's word together. So City Church, if you would, please stand. when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to City Church, this is the Word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago, and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Peter is moving our attention from sort of this idea of the ethics of how we are to live as Christians, and in our particular roles, to now broadening this out to how we should all live. And let's be honest, as we read this passage... There's a lot of stuff that probably made you go, wait, huh, what? Right? There's some strange stuff about uh, Jesus preaching to prisoners. But they were back in the day of Noah. What's going on? Okay, there's that. Right? And And then it says, baptism, which now saves you. Well, Justin just said that that wasn't the case when he baptized Raina. What have we got going on there? Look, I'm here. I'm with you. Right? I've been looking at this passage of the Bible all week. There's a lot of stuff in here, but one of the things that we talk about often is that we at City Church are committed to preaching consecutively through parts of the Bible. And so we come to passages like this that are strange. We come to passages like this that we've got to sort of wrap our brains around in some hard way. And what I want to do before I sort of get into the meat of our sermon is just sort of show you that there are two things that that Peter is showing us. Two things that rise to the top. And the first one is is this idea that we should set apart God as holy. It says it differently in a few different versions, but, but the way that it says it here in the ESV that we read is, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This idea of setting him apart is this idea of making him the sole focus. It's connected to the idea of worship. And the reason for that, the reason... That we are to set him apart as holy, he explains in the second half. He connects that to the resurrection of Jesus. The reason we are to set apart Christ as holy is because he is the one who has been raised from the dead and seated in heaven. But the thing about our lives is we rarely let these things happen. We don't typically make Jesus the center, and we don't think about the way that resurrection changes everything. And what I want to do is just, just for a few minutes here, walk through and talk about all the different things that Peter connects to the resurrection. Because he starts by connecting it to the way that we talk about Jesus to others. He says that we should always be ready to give a defense of the hope that is in us. Now for some of us who are Christians, the reason we don't do this is because we functionally live without hope. Nobody's asking you about your hope because, you know, you don't have any. You know why you don't have any hope? It's because you're not thinking about and dwelling on the resurrection. Because when you begin to think about the fact that Jesus has overcome death, that Jesus has overcome sadness, dysfunction, pain and heartache, that Jesus has undone all of the broken things in this world and is undoing them now. He started that in his resurrection. And when we begin to think about the ways that God is pushing back that darkness, that he's pushing back that death and bringing life more and more into this world, what happens is we begin to have hope. We begin to have hope that this isn't it that this life that I live isn't the only thing that there is. No, we begin to see that we can be filled with hope that this world is not the end of everything. And so if we have that sort of hope, we are going to stick out. Because we live in a cynical and oftentimes hopeless culture. But sometimes Christians, sometimes Christians aren't the best at telling people about Jesus. We can we can think of a lot of illustrations. I can think uh, particularly of when we were at the, the Grand Prix party a few months ago uh, at Ms. D's house. And there were some folks uh, who were telling a lot of people who were walking around the race area um, about Jesus. And they were doing so with a megaphone in a list of sins that sometimes included yoga pants. And they were very quick to point out everybody's sinfulness. Paul says, no, if we believe that the resurrection is really a thing, if we believe that Jesus has come back from the dead, that changes the way, the the way that we tell others about Jesus, because all of a sudden we do it with respect. We do it with humility and kindness because it's not that I have it all together and I'm going to fix you. It's that I'm a beggar who found a bread place and I love bread. And so all of a sudden, this is about me being able to say, Hey, I have found hope. There is something more in my heart that I didn't have before that I have now. And it was born in the moment of the resurrection of Jesus. Because the resurrection changes the way that we do that. The resurrection is what really matters. Because the resurrection doesn't just change the way we tell others about Jesus. It also teaches us about how to suffer for doing good which is like a a double hurdle, right? That's, we don't like to suffer, right? We, we arrange, most of us arrange our lives to avoid as much suffering as possible, right? Is this going to be, is this going to be hard? Ah, let me find a, let me find a way to cope in advance with the hardness of what this thing is going to be, right? Ah, I'm going to have to have a hard conversation. Maybe I should have a a strong beverage before I have that strong, that, that conversation, that maybe it's a little, Whatever I can do to minimize the suffering of my normal day-to-day life. But Peter isn't just talking about the normal day-to-day suffering that we have. Peter's talking about another level. Peter's talking about suffering for doing good. Suffering for doing the right thing. If and when any one of us Has ever experienced this. It is absolutely the last thing we would think. To think that, ah yes. This is Jesus blessing me. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing well. I'm being a Christian at work. And now I'm suffering for it. Yeah. Blessings upon blessings, Jesus. Look at that. No. When we suffer, we get frustrated. When we suffer for doing good we take it to another level of anger and frustration. Often that anger and frustration is pointed at God. And so Peter is telling us something completely different. He is telling us that because of the resurrection, suffering has redemption in view. That our suffering is not wasted. Our suffering is not pointless. Even in the case of suffering for doing the right thing, Peter even points out the way that that changes other. Because any time you see real self-sacrifice, it changes you. How many movies, how how many war movies are filled with the trope of the guy that gives his life for everyone else in his unit? There's a really good illustration of this in a very popular movie that's playing in theaters just like this. But I can't say that because you will yell at me for the spoiler. But we see in so many ways and in so many places that, that suffering in the face of evil, that self-sacrifice changes others. And what happens is, the way that we get changed by this is that the resurrection changes the object of our reverence. See, if I revere your opinion of me as the greatest thing, guess what's going to drive me? That. If I revere success as the greatest thing, guess what's going to drive me? If I revere family stability as the greatest thing, and so on and so forth. When we begin to see that the resurrection is the thing most worthy of worship. That the, the resurrected Lord Jesus is the thing that is to be the most highly revered. It changes us. It makes us fearless. Because what? If that is the most, the thing that I worship the most, guess what? your opinion of me matters? It doesn't. It doesn't. Because that's not what I'm chasing. That's not the object that I love. And it's only through the power of the resurrection that we can begin to have a change in our heart. But the thing is, is that most of us don't want actual change in our lives. You see, we come to church and we want to hear a nice sermon. We want to hear a nice sermon about a nice Jesus Who has nice things to say about being nice to other people. You know why we want to hear a nice sermon about a nice Jesus who has nice things to say about being nice to other people? Because that doesn't require a lot of us. I don't have to change that much. I can just kind of go, ah, yeah, I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to not cut off people in traffic anymore. I'm going to, I'm just going to just be nice what Peter is calling us to is so much more than just be nice. And you see, some of us, some of us think that's what Christianity is about. And and a lot of people think that Christianity is just a place to go be told how to be nice. But a lot of us who are Christians live that way too. Because we don't really believe Christianity and the resurrection And the message of Jesus actually really changes us. We just sort of morally, mentally assent to, it. yeah, yeah, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, fine. But we don't do anything about it. In this passage, in a really oblique and odd way, Peter reminds us of the story of Noah. And I'm reminded of an old comedian who talked about the way that, that how crazy it would have been for for Noah living in a landlocked area to start building a giant boat. Right? That, was, that was not a sane look on Noah's part. And, and it says that all the time that Noah was building, he was preaching to all of the people around him. And for, for years and years and years, Noah was probably considered the craziest person on the planet. right? Because he's building a giant boat in the middle of a field. Which, by the way, is not where boats go don't know if you know this, some of you aren't from the coast, um, but boats don't go in fields, they go in water. Except there had to be a day where things started to change, when all of a sudden, whether, whether, whether Noah was in sort of Mesopotamia, whether he was in Turkey, wherever he was, and all of a sudden some elephants started rolling up to Noah's house. Followed by the tigers. And all of a sudden some birds start roosting in that crazy dude boat what happens then if you're the people watching noah you can very clearly see with your eyes that all of a sudden there's huh there's these giant gray long trunked things walking under noah's boat what did the people do they just went meh i agree there are things on his boat who cares that is how most of us treat the resurrection huh jesus came out of a tomb Neat. Nice. But it's so much deeper. It's so much more. And we miss out because we don't think that the resurrection and what Peter ties to the resurrection is our baptism. We don't think about those on a regular basis. He talks about the way that they, that they are part of our clean conscience. And what, what our clean conscience, what he's talking about there is our ability to self-critique. How many times do you and I take the time to critique ourselves? Well, let's not get into how infrequently that is. That's for another time. But we ignore that the hope that is created by the resurrection and symbolized in our baptism. It is so appropriate that it works out that this text happens on the morning where we get to see a baptism, where we got to remember our baptism. Because the resurrection creates a change in this world, the new world order was brought in at the resurrection and on a global scale. But baptism is a way that we see this on an individual scale. Baptism is the message of the resurrection for the world applied to a single heart. It is what reminds us of our hope. It is what drives us. And how many times do we think about the resurrection and how many times do we think about baptism? I don't think I've ever come to a fork in the road and said, I wonder what my baptism has to say about this situation would be. No, no, I come to a fork in the road and say, which of these two paths looks most comfy? Which of these two paths allows me to have more control? Which of these paths is the more secure road? Which of these paths is going to provide me with the most power? (laughs) That's what we ask when we come to a fork in the road because those things are functionally our gods. We are quicker to serve power, control, security, approval, comfort, things like that than we are to serve the resurrected Jesus who has met us in our baptism. And so we are reminded again in this weird passage that Jesus changes everything. I just want to take just a second real quick to talk about that whole preaching to the prisoners and spirits. Um, I think the best take on this that I read all week was the take of the great reformer, Martin Luther. Martin Luther read this text and said, I am sure that this text teaches us something beautiful and wonderful about the redemption of Jesus. I just don't know what it is. I tend to agree with him. (laughs) There's something that we have lost along the way to really understand. There's There's some interesting theories I'd be happy to discuss with you after. But what we see is this unclear story of Jesus preaching to these prisoners, probably the people in Noah's day, probably through Jesus being in Noah and preaching through the Holy Spirit. That's probably the best take. But what we see from that unclear part is something very clear, that Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father over all authority, over all power, that He is truly in charge of everything, that even our suffering is subject to Jesus. We don't think about the resurrection because it reminds us that we need to change. We don't want to change. We just want our situation to change. And so we keep this idea of the resurrection out of our mind. And so when you add it all up, this passage exposes unbelief in all of us. Unbelief in how big, beautiful, and wonderful the resurrection of Jesus is. How incredibly clear of a picture we get in baptism of that. But this passage also reminds us of suffering. Not primarily my suffering or yours. This passage reminds us of the suffering of Jesus. The unrighteous, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. That Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. That he might bring us to the Father united in him. This passage shows us how much we don't believe, but also reminds us of how much Jesus has already done for us because it's not about how strong my faith is. It's about how strong the resurrection of Jesus is. It's not about how well I morally perform this week. It's about the fact that Jesus has already conquered sin and death on my behalf. And so this is not uh, an invitation this week to work harder. No, when we consider the death of Jesus and his resurrection, when we think about what he has given to us in our baptism... We should be struck by awe and wonder. We should see these things and be stunned. I remember very clearly going to the James Museum downtown. And I was walking Elliot around because the boys, the big boys were doing something. And I was walking him through. And I walked past a piece. And I said, that's weird. <laughs> They've got like somebody ripping off Andy Warhol here. I thought this was like a really good museum. Why would they have like a rip-off, like a bad imitation of Andy Warhol? And then I came back by a few minutes later with, with Elliot and the stroller, and I stopped dead in my tracks as I looked at the painting again. Because it wasn't a rip-off of Andy Warhol. It was an Andy Warhol painting. And it was striking. And it was beautiful. And, and it made me, it filled me with awe. And you know what the first thing I did immediately after that was? I went and told my wife, Honey, honey, they've got a Warhol. It's right over there. It's gorgeous. You need to come see it. Check it out. When we see real beauty, we are struck in awe of it. And we want to tell others about it. City Church, may we be struck by the beauty of the resurrection. By the beauty of Jesus dying and giving us Faith, the beauty of unconditional love, combined with the resurrected power, should lead us to this all-filled worship. Not just with songs on Sunday mornings, but with every part of our life. So that every part of our life, whether we are at work or at play, whether we are eating or drinking, whatever we are doing, we are filled with this worship, this centeredness around what God is doing. Because that centeredness on who God is and His beauty is the thing that truly transforms us. That is the thing that makes us go, yes. That is the thing that drives us to want to tell others. That is the one thing that changes everything about our life. Let's pray.